0: Welcome to the show. Today, let's take a few small yummy bites of knowledge that can empower you. Wake Up Memory Technique is also here so you can actually remember what you just learned. High five to you for showing up. This is Claire at RDH Bites. Hi everybody and welcome back to RDH Bites. This is Amanda and today we have a special guest, Miss Sarah Clark. Sarah, how are you today? Hey, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing really well today. How are you? I can't complain. It's partly sunny, nice weather. I'll take it. So, Sarah is a dynamic team member at Student RDH and Professor RDH. She's a faculty member at Coastal Carolina Community College, a consultant, a clinical advisor, and founder of Sarah Clark RDH, where she delivers amazing CE courses on a variety of topics. She's also a published author in various magazines, journals, and websites. And quite honestly, I would be lost without Sarah. So Sarah welcome to the podcast we're so excited to have you today can you tell me what we are going to be discussing thanks Amanda
1: today we're going to be discussing salivary ph and how important it is to pay attention to that
0: during dental hygiene care awesome this is one of my favorite topics that you cover I'm really really excited so let's dive in why are we learning about this today So today we're learning about this because salivary pH is one of
1: those areas that tends to be the missing puzzle piece in dental hygiene care. Um, It's often forgotten about, and it's one of the things that if we pay attention to it, it can make a huge difference in our patients' lives.
0: I agree, and I'll have to tell you, I am so guilty. I've got my Yeti with coffee in it all day and my flavored water throughout the day. So this is definitely something I need to work on. So how did you come about, you know, your passion for this subject? Well, I became passionate about the
1: subject um, just as I had noticed while I was growing through my clinical career, I would often see patients and sometimes things just didn't click um, from that. And we'll talk a little bit more in depth about that in a bit, but I notice that we tend to get really focused on just removing the calculus as we get into our hygiene groove, I like to call it. Um, You know, we kind of get our blinders on and all we see is get the calculus out, get the calculus out. Um, And we forget that that's not typically the root cause of most of the issues for our patients. So it's super important for us to learn about this
0: today. Absolutely. I cannot agree with you more. Sensitivity carries all of these things. And if we're going to title ourselves as prevention specialists, this definitely plays a large role in that prevention. Absolutely. 100% agree with you there. Okay. So tell me about an example from your days of practice. Sure. So, Where my light bulb really happened
1: was in private practice, um, I would see these patients come in, and a lot of times there were kind of two different categories of patients. The first group of patients would be the people that would sit in the chair. You could tell that they were just not really willing to engage. They'd been there, they'd heard that, um, and they were the people that were hearing the same things every single time. Do you brush, do you floss, do you want a fluoride treatment today? They always had decay. No matter what, those recommendations always seemed to be the same for them, and they had this glazed-over look, and it was really because they knew that that's not what was going to change anything for them. So the cycle would always continue. Six months later, they'd come back, hear the same thing. They knew it wasn't going to work, and so on and so forth. So I started to feel really bad because I knew what I was telling my patients wasn't the answer for them, but I didn't know better yet. The other example I have is those patients who would come in, They have no calculus buildup anywhere. Their teeth are shiny, smooth, but you can look at their gingiva and just tell something isn't right. Um, And every once in a while, somebody would come in, do the exam and look and say, oh, it looks great. And again, that's back to that calculus focus, right? Oh, there's no calculus. They must look great. And I knew something was off. So after a little bit of thinking, I just remember one day looking at one of these patients and a light bulb went off and I said, oh my gosh, what about salivary pH? And that's where I started to really do some digging on this topic.
0: I love that. How many times as providers have we sat across from our patients and you just kind of see the screen come down over their eyes like, I've heard this so many times, it's not going to work for me. And they just kind of tune out and start thinking, how much longer, how many times is she going to tell me to floss? It's not working for me. So thank you so much for bringing this topic to light. Okay, so... What's the definition? Give me a definition for salivary pH. Sure. So
1: salivary pH, or I should just say pH in general to start with, pH in general is the acidity of something. It's measuring how acidic or how basic something can be. Um, We have the scale of our pH. It can go all the way up to basic of 14. We know neutral is 7. Anything below that is more acidic. Um, So salivary pH is us actually testing the pH level of the saliva. We do have something called our critical pH as well, which is really important for us to know our critical pH of 5.5 is the pH level in which um, teeth actually demineralize. So it's really important for us to understand that if somebody's having that acidic pH at a 5.5, that critical pH damage is truly occurring. We know that 7.0 is a neutral pH. And then beyond that, we start to get actually a bit more basic. 6.2 pH, to about 7.6 pH, um, that's the normal resting range for saliva. So if we're testing somebody's saliva and they're pretty healthy, um, their normal rate should fall within that range typically.
0: So normal should be right around seven, somewhere from 6.2 to 7.6. And I just wanna touch really quickly, I think that's a great board alert right there. 5.5 is the critical pH at which Enamel begins the demineralization process. So, students, remember 5.5. If you see that on a test question on the national board, that is your correct answer. Okay, Sarah, so what causes, you know, I'm a little afraid for your answer on this one because I know this is a, a weak point for me. What causes acidic saliva?
1: Awesome question. This is another area that I tend to think a lot of clinicians think about it in one aspect, but not necessarily so much the other. And that's why it's so important that we're going to talk about this. So number one, which is the aspect that I think most people are really familiar with, is that it can come from a direct exposure source. For instance, drinking an acidic beverage, so the answer you are afraid of, Amanda, your coffee, um, even seltzer waters, water that has lemon in it. Um, some waters themselves, people have tested bottle waters that are testing acidic too. So Mm -hmm. there are various things, but those direct exposures, um, beverages, for instance, that we just talked about, another direct exposure source could be a health related concern. So if someone's vomiting frequently, maybe they're pregnant and have morning sickness, maybe it's an eating disorder, um, also acid reflux. So those are all acids that are directly exposing the tooth surface themselves, Um, But then we also have to think about a secondary source. This is the area that I think a lot of clinicians kind of tuck in the back of their mind when they get out of school. Um, It's just not as obvious to think about, but we have to also understand that acid is a byproduct of bacteria. So the biofilm bacteria that's present in our mouth, what our oral microflora is presenting us, when we have certain bacteria that are present, um, those bacteria output, or again, their byproduct is acid. Sometimes it's also because those bacteria are digesting those sugars. So if we eat something sugary or something breaks down in our mouth, those fermentable carbohydrates, um, they're broken down. The bacteria is having a field day in there, eating all that sugar, and then their output is acid. So that byproduct or that secondary source or the indirect source of the acid is also through the bacteria process.
0: Got it. So. I think this is something that we all thought about a lot in dental hygiene school when we would educate our patients or scare kids into brushing their teeth, right? Talking about the bacteria and what the bacteria do in your mouth. So super important to be discussing with our patients. And you also brought up a great point about acid reflux. A lot of patients don't realize that their acid reflux or GERD symptoms are impacting their oral health. So just a you know great reminder to practitioners and students alike, we need to be discussing those systemic issues that might relate, and 99.9% of the time do relate to oral health.
1: For sure. And before we move on to our next question, just to add another thing in that's um, really important for us to notice clinicians that are other sources of causes of this too. Dry mouth plays a huge factor. If we can't produce the saliva, Um, then we're not going to have saliva to help us buffer or wash away acids, meaning we have a low buffering capacity. Um, So dry mouth is a huge contributing factor to acid saliva components.
0: And as we know, the majority of medications patients are taking cause dry mouth. So absolutely. We're definitely facing this issue from all fronts. Okay, so... How does this impact us as educators, as students, as practitioners? How can we incorporate this into our everyday practice?
1: Absolutely. So this is super impactful for us because if we start to look at those areas that I mentioned, we kind of let go by the wayside. So again, those indirect exposures to the acid or where it comes from, um, also, noting that we have that patient population that either feels sort of let down by their previous recommendations because they're not getting anywhere. Uh, or the ones that things just don't add up when we're able to actually implement this. um, And the way that I would do that is with some chair side salivary testing. And we Mm. can talk about that in a bit if you'd like to, Uh, but by implementing that, we can actually understand what's happening in the oral cavity. Um, Obviously, by just looking at saliva, you're not going to really know, right? So you might have some indicators when you're looking at your patient and evaluating them clinically, but by um, utilizing a test, for instance, we can actually understand and know what's happening and then create some recommendations to help them change that oral environment to reduce that acid exposure and then actually get these patients results so their trust comes back, we're actually seeing clinical change um, and we're doing what we really meant to do which is re-inspiring our patient population.
0: Hey guys, Amanda here with a super exciting announcement. Are you a student or faculty member looking for focused, Organize study materials for the national board if this sounds like you then student rdh has your solution welcome to the summit please join us at www.studentrdh.com to sign up for the waitlist for live lectures guided note-taking and the information you need to pass the national board and now back to the show amazing i love that because like we said at the beginning if they're just glazed over not listening we're not getting through to them and by offering something besides that one size fits all home care regimen hopefully we can kind of break through that barrier and sarah i don't know about you but for me in a educational clinical setting i notice a lot of times that we get stuck in a rut brush for two minutes floss use a mouth rinse clean your tongue right? And that's not a great OHI. For me as a clinical, clinical instructor, the students would not get full points for an OHI that sounded like that. So I think this is a really great component for students to incorporate into their OHI with their patients. Absolutely. It's huge. I mean, gone are the days of looking at the textbook and
1: performing your textbook, check off the box, brush, floss, throw some fluoride on it we're not Mm -hmm. there anymore. We're talking about overall systemic health, more diagnostic testing, knowing so that we can actually help our patient for what's really happening versus just, you know, blanketing and throwing things out there that might help. Um, And also gone is the day of patient shame. We're like, brush floss floored, if that didn't work for you, it's your fault. That's not the case anymore. There are way deeper things at play here. And if we can bring this into the educational setting, um, I share with students all the time, like, hey, this is what you need to do and know to pass your boards and get through school. Um, But when you get out there, start thinking and doing your own research and looking into these topics, because they're going to serve you incredibly well and serve
0: your patients incredibly well. Awesome. Okay, so How can we implement this? What can we do chair side? So they
1: do make chair-side salivary testing that you can utilize. When I say salivary testing, a lot of people start thinking about testing for the microbes and all of that. What mm-hmm. you can do, that's great, but I'm talking about something different than that today. I'm talking about actually testing the pH of the saliva that your patient's presenting with at the appointment. Um, you can buy litmus paper testing strips, so it's a specialized paper. It's kind of like if you were going to test the water in your pool, uh, but they actually make them for the mouth that you can purchase. And 10 seconds chair side, have your patient wet the strip on their tongue Um, immediately when the strip comes out. You can compare it to the um, key that's on the bottle of the back and you can tell them and have an active conversation. It's going to show you what is their pH at that moment in time, have a discussion around that, recommend some products that can help them alter that as well.
0: I love that. I think that that visual for patients makes the largest difference. We have something to show them. We have proof that what we're saying isn't just, you know, rehearsed uh, instructions for them. We can actually show them the pH in your mouth is what's causing you these issues. Here's how we can fix it. So, Sarah, we're not sponsored by any specific products, but do you have any that you prefer?
1: Yeah, there's a couple that are really great out there. It kind of depends exactly what you want to get out of it. I always mm-hmm. recommend a product that's going to help you test your patient's buffering capacity as well. Um, again, your buffering capacity is how effective your saliva is at moving away those acids and improving your salivary pH and getting you out of that danger level, so away from that critical pH. So we want a test strip that's going to show us the current pH of your saliva as well as how effective your saliva is doing at this job. Um, So CAO Group is one really great product. They make the cavity fighter test strips. They're very, very affordable, um, and they're very easy to use. So I would recommend that one. And then GC America also creates a product um, that it's a little more time-consuming to utilize, but it's an interesting product because rather than a litmus paper test, it's a stimulated saliva test. So you actually Mm -hmm. have your patient chew on a little wax ball which means you're getting the freshest saliva possible to test with um, and then utilizing the test that way and getting your reading. And that one does do your buffering capacity as well as your pH level.
0: So those are two really great options. I love that. And I think, you know, anybody has 10 seconds. We get so busy and we have so many things to do during our appointment, but OHI is one of those things that we cannot skip. We have to be doing our education piece with every patient, and a 10-second test is definitely something we can implement. Absolutely. Okay, Sarah, so now that we've kind of gone through what is this, what can we use to combat this, I'd love to ask you a couple of multiple-choice questions. All righty. So the first one is, what is the critical pH where demineralization occurs? Our options are A, 3.2, B, 1.0, C, 5.5, and D, 7.0. Let's give everybody a couple seconds to think about that. Critical pH, 3.2, 1.0, 5.5, or 7.0. Sarah, what's our correct answer here? So our correct answer here for critical
1: pH where demineralization occurs is 5.5. This is where we have determined that the acidity in the mouth at that time and at that specific pH level can actually create the enamel changes that lead to things like demineralization and eventually decay.
0: Awesome. Okay, 5.5 critical pH. I hope everybody can remember that one. That is definitely a possibility that you might see that on the board. Our next question, what is the normal pH range for saliva? What is the normal pH range for saliva? A, 6.2 to 7.6. B, 6.0 to 6.5. C, 8.0 to 9.0, D 1.0 to 6.2. Again that question, what is the normal pH range for saliva? 6.2 to 7.6, 6.0 to 6.5, 8.0 to 9.0, or 1.0 to 6.2. Sarah, what is our best answer here?
1: Our best answer here is 6.2 to 7.6. So our neutral saliva is 7.0. Saliva can range to be slightly above or slightly below this when it's in the healthy range. Um, If you actually look this answer up, you'll often find some various ranges. So these numbers are not absolutes. But if you're looking around for a range, this is going to be pretty close to where it's going to be found at. Uh, Something else that's really important to note about pH range and why this range is here and why all of a sudden it doesn't bring you all the way up to a pH of 14, right? Because we want to be a little more basic is because after we get above that 7.6 range, we can actually start to see um, an opposite effect from dental decay, but we can start to see gum health issues. So on Mm. the low end of the spectrum, that critical pH 5.5 and below, we're worried about enamel erosion and decay. But then after we hit above that 7.6, 8.0 and above, the bacteria that start to cause periodontal issues can be prevalent.
0: So that's where we have to really make sure that we want to stay in that range. Awesome. And students, if you were looking at this question, only one of the options had seven in the choices. So seven is neutral. That was one of your uh, keys for this question. Sarah, I cannot say thank you enough. I'm so excited you were here with us today at RDH Bytes, and we cannot wait to have you back again. Thank you. I love spending my time with you and everybody else here. So um, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And listeners, we'll see you next week back at RDH Bytes.